chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, and tonight we're going to look at this chapter, and the theme is a vision of God's throne. Revelation chapter 4, and the theme of this chapter is a vision of God's throne. We'll read all 11 verses here. The last verse is what we just sang in our chorus there. Let's notice here John on his record here of the book of Revelation. He said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and, behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The word throne is mentioned 17 times in these two chapters, chapters 4 and 5. Throne, a throne is a place where, I mentioned this morning, where a, a leader exerts his power and he is his official office or place of declaring his will and his desires and his judgments. In this case, this chapter shows us the highest throne ever. It's the highest place of authority. Um, we think of the Supreme Court. It's the highest court of our land. But there's a higher court. And it's not set, it doesn't have to rest and depend on gravity holding up against dirt. It's in heaven. It's God's throne set in heaven. The highest court of the universe. Where the final judgment is, it's God's throne. Um, I was, as I was thinking about this vision that John had, it makes me think of different so-called prophets in the last 150 years that we've seen in our country. We've had false religions arise in our country, especially in the early 1800s, like uh, Mormonism and the Watchtower Society, Jehovah's Witness, and some other cults. And usually they come with men that call themselves prophets. And usually they'll say, this man saw God, and he saw this, and God told him this, this, and that. And, and Joseph Smith claims to have a vision of God and, and of Jesus and of an angel Moroni who gave him golden plates to translate whatever 
And uh, there's no secondary witness to those things. And Joseph Smith has said things. You could do research of some of his writing. He's said things. He's made predictions that did not come to pass in the timing that he constrained himself them to be coming to pass, which would make him, according to the book of Deuteronomy, a false prophet. For Moses told people, he told the Israelites, how do we, they said, how are we going to know if this prophet's true? And Moses said, this is easy. I'm paraphrasing. Moses said, if he says something and it doesn't come to pass, he's false. And that's what Joseph Smith has done on several things. But he claimed to see God. He claimed to see Jesus Christ. And there's other people that do that too. I mean, you think of the, sometimes you get some of these crazy people on TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Now, sometimes you might see a good Bible preacher on there, but man, you'll get some crazy guys on there and they'll, they'll get in a frenzy and they'll all of a sudden tell you that they saw Jesus and they had a dream and Jesse Duplantis saw Jesus, put his arm around him. They did a stroll down the golden streets, went fishing. And I mean, he, does, he kind of talks about Jesus like that, like he's just some kind of chummy guy, you know. And God saw God, and they went and hung out someplace. And, and they speak of God in lesser terms than we know in Scripture. And they speak, and sometimes they speak as if, ah, God, yeah, come on over here, God. Oh, come on over here, neighbor, Fred, and God. Yeah, just like, he's just like anybody else, you know. And, and, they, and it's always that, and usually when somebody says, I died and I went to heaven, or I died and, or I saw God and I went to heaven and I spent, usually when you follow a testimony like that, it's very self. It's very self, this is what I saw and this is what I felt. And, oh, and it's, less, it's, it's more of self and, and, and less of God. But here John sees, he's caught up in heaven and he sees the throne of God and a manifestation of God and the atmosphere about God's throne and it's not at all about him. God's throne. So what we're going to do, we've been looking in the book of Revelation. Do, do I have a clicker here? As we've been in the book of Revelation, I apologize if the, if the graphic's not as clear as it, as it um, maybe it is on my computer screen. But here's, a, here's the surface of the earth. And so far we've kind of been dealing with stuff on the earth, like the churches. And, and so on. Thanks, Jimmy. And, and now um, John's going to be up in heaven, the vision of God's throne. And everything he's receiving is there. He's going to see from here on out. He's going to tell us stuff he sees up here, heaven, and down here, and in between some fighting with angels. Okay? He's going to show us. So it's going to alternate. The scene's going to alternate between heaven and earth as you follow through the book of Revelation. Tonight we're going to take this chapter in three parts. First we're going to see the arrival to God's throne, John's arrival there. And it's going to be kind of a review of what we did last week. He arrives at God's throne. Then the appearance of God and His throne is secondly. And then the greater part of the verses, more verses are taken up describing the atmosphere about God's throne. Kind of in those three sections, the last point being a little more developed. That's what we'll look at tonight. So verse, these first couple verses, we, we see the arrival. John arrives up at God's throne. He didn't know he was going to take that trip that day. It was unexpected that he would be standing before God's throne. For the Bible says, verse chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And before he got to make a decision about it or put in his vote or say, No, wait a minute, let me go, let me go change my wardrobe. No, immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne. So here it is, John, abruptly taken up to heaven. He hears a trumpet, like a voice talking with him. He hears a call, come up, come up here. How many of you kids, your parents ever say, get up? None of you? A couple of you. Get up. How many of you say that to your parents on Christmas morning? Yeah. John had a trumpet, a call up, and then an instantaneous change. That sounds kind of familiar. The Bible speaks, I think John is symbolic of what's going to happen to every believer. In an unexpected time when we're not ready, maybe we don't have our road robe or our, our Christian life and how we want it, all of a sudden, a trumpet, 
is going to sound, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The trumpet, it, says, it actually calls it the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15 calls it because the way trumpets are done is sometimes there was the Roman armies, would, they would sound a trumpet to, to, um, to get men out of their tents. They'd sound another trumpet to line them up. They'd sound the last trumpet to get them marching forward. And perhaps that's what that means, the last trump. But there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound and there's going to be a call up. The, the Lord will call us up. We will be caught up. First Thessalonians 4 says, we will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And we're going to be changed. First Corinthians 15 says, we shall all be changed. If you don't like how you look, you don't like how you feel. Some of us don't like how you look either, you know. I'm just playing with you tonight. You, I don't like how I look a lot of times. But we're going to all be changed. Okay? You know, these people have these visions. That's another thing. People have a vision of, of heaven. Yeah, I went to heaven and I saw my grandma there. Like, did she look like your grandma still? Because she's going to be changed if you really saw your grandma. Come on. Did she still look 80 or did she look 33? I mean, come on. I think we might all be about 33 years old. We shall be like him. You know, something, there's got to be something like that. I doubt if you're like, I got a new body. Can't you tell? No, I can't. So we're going to all, so John had this uh, trumpet called up instantaneously changed. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, in this case, again, it's a vision and he's in the spirit. He's abruptly done that way. And, and so, so also will we will instantaneously change. Our mortal bodies will change. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians speaks about that. And then our place will be changed. We'll not be on earth anymore. And then the program that we're dealing with with God will be changed. That's how it was with John. When John was raptured up from this point forward, chapter 4, verse 1, John has to look and view a different program that he doesn't normally see. Previous to chapter 4, John, the apostle, his, his, he followed Christ in those years of discipleship. He, he saw Jesus declare he's going to begin his church. He begins his church. John's there at Pentecost. He's one of the 12 apostles. They start the church. They see Jerusalem church multiply and divide. They see Antioch church multiply and divide. They see Paul's church work and, and church planning. And they see some of the other apostles go different ways. Some of them die a martyr's death. John is churchy, churchy, churchy. He sees church work. He's an apostle. He's visiting other churches, being the apostle, helping them to maintain uh, order and purity. He's writing 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John. He's dealing with churches. And then he gets this vision in chapter 1 when he's on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus Christ walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, which is a vision of the churches. Jesus says, write what you saw. Write the things which are and write the things which shall be. So John writes what he saw. He sees chapter 1, the vision of Jesus. Then he starts writing the things which are. Jesus says, this is how this church is. This is what they need to do. This is how this church is. This is what they need to do. This is how this church, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. He starts writing the things which are church-related stuff. So he saw, he wrote what he saw. He wrote the things which are, that is the condition of those churches. And now all of a sudden, boom, he's wrapped up. He's, he's raptured up. And he, the next thing he says is, it says, come up hither. I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now he's going to write things that are going to be hereafter, that is, after this church time. And from chapter 4 all the way through chapter, about chapter 18 or 19, I have to get that nailed down. Oh, it's chapter 18. You don't see a church thing on earth. You see believers, you see Jewish believers, you see, but you don't see something's different. The word church itself, if I remember, it's not even mentioned until the very last chapter. We see a picture of it in something called a bride in the millennium and when he comes back. And, but the church is not mentioned. So John, is, there's this change after he gets raptured up and he's before God's throne. What he's going to see now is different. It's, watch this. It's God's dealing with Israel. If you're familiar, from here forward, you're going to start to see things that are like kind of old altars, plagues, sacrifices, um, Jewish things, Israeli things. You're going to see that in this book. 
That's what that's what's seen, and that's what uh, God's dealing with. And here's why. God, there's a prophecy. We mentioned this. There was a prophecy that took place in Daniel's day. God gave Daniel this prophecy that showed him that there is hope for Israel, even though he was in exile in Babylon. God gave Daniel this prophecy. It told about these years of certain things that were going to get accomplished. Seventy weeks. I misspoke on the video. I listened to my video last week. I said each uh, week is a year or something. It's actually each week is seven years. My brain thought that, but my mouth didn't say that, you know. Um, sometimes it's good if your mouth doesn't say what your brain thinks, but this time it wasn't, okay. And maybe some of you didn't catch it, but anyways, uh, seven, God shows Daniel this prophecy, prophecy of 70 weeks. The weeks represent years. So if one week is seven years, seven years, seven so 490 years, and certain things happen in those times. And after 69 weeks, it says Messiah is cut off. That means he's, he, he, gets, he's, he uh, is uh, executed. And the timing of that, that's exactly what happened, is the week that Jesus came in to, we call it Palm Sunday. We believe that was the exact time when that 69th week was fulfilled. And then he speaks of another 70th week, but nothing's really happened in that. It's like God's pushed the pause button, and he's dealing with this mystery called the church. The prophets never saw the church. They didn't see a church age. They saw Jesus. They saw him crucified. They saw him risen. They saw him reigning, and they're like, how does this fit? But there was this valley in between them called the church age that they never saw that we're living in. And God is going to say, all right, church, I'm done with you. I'm taking this parentheses that I've been dealing with out of the way. Now I'm going to resume my dealing with Israel. And the 60, the 70th week of Daniel will begin when we're gone. And the more I study that, I, that's what I was taught in college, and I had a few students that didn't believe it, and I thought, well, maybe this one's right, maybe the the more I buried my mind and heart in the Bible, I'm like, that is really what's, that is how it is. And it just, everything's pointing to an imminent rapture. So anyway, so John's caught up. It seems to be a picture of what happens to us that can happen to us at any moment, whether we're ready or not. And John now has arrived in heaven. Look at it says, a throne, verse 2, was set in heaven. Now, Sometimes heaven is spoken of in three types. Heaven like the sky, the blue sky, heaven. Then there's heaven like outer space, heaven. And then there's heaven is the highest, the apex of the universe where God abides, heaven. Somehow that's where John got instantaneously transported to the third heaven, the apex of the universe, where God is, God's abode, the, lo- the high and lofty place. Sometimes you can't discern it except by context, reading that word. But so John's there. Now, what is he going to see? The appearance. Now, okay, let me preface what I'm going to say now with this. <clears throat> I try to have kind of a, some pictures for us to help, uh, you know, an outline, and pictures fail. But I'm trying to give you a gist. In fact, even the fact that the Bible, do you ever notice there's some phrases you're going to read in the book of Revelation? I saw something like this, or it was as a jasper stone. It was, it was like a, a calf. It was like a man's face. It, he's saying like and as. John is trying to grasp for similes and symbols. This seems to be like this but it seems like John is just having a hard time describing everything perfectly. So also, as I'm even giving us pictures, and we're getting pictures even in our mind's eye, listen to this, the symbol, John's given us a symbol, and we're going to see a symbol of God, this glistening and this transparentness and this brightness. Even that, even the symbol, symbols are always less than the reality. The only way that can be fully explained is just to be there ourselves and be blown away by it. And John was at times in this book, when he falls down, he just goes, oh. 
So we're going to have symbols, we're going to have even pictures, but the symbol, just know, it's just, it's short of reality. Reality will be better than what I show you. So here's what he sees. He sees an appearance here of a throne um, set in heaven. A throne is occupied. Now, this is what it says here. He goes, verse um, 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, look, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, that's, see, that's one, it's one thing to have a throne. It's another thing to have somebody sitting on it. Um, like I said to you this morning, you can go, there's certain places in museums and places in different countries where, oh, you want to go see our throne that we used to have 300 years ago when we used to have a king, but now we have a parliament. You want to go see? Yeah, well, I'll go see your throne. What was the, and it's just a throne. It's just empty. There's places where there's thrones. It's more of a museum. It's more of a novelty. It's more of a, oh, really? That's really neat. I'm glad you don't have a king anymore. It's a good thing you have a democratic republic or whatever it is for some of these countries. But here's a throne, and it's occupied by a perfect leader. A throne is active. This throne you'll see is attractive. It's powerful. It's holy. And then we get these descriptions here. John says, look at verse 3, and, and, and he that, again, he's giving us appearance. He that sat was to, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, if you were to look up jasper right now and sardine stone, they both come up just kind of like this muddy red look. The, the sardine stone's more like ruby a little bit. But the uh, jasper's like red. But I, I started reading, and there was a clear, crystal clear jasper. In fact, Revelation chapter 21, verse 11, mentions jasper as part of uh, heaven, the new Jerusalem, and it says it's clear as crystal. Some translations say diamond. I don't think that's accurate because if you were to read Ezekiel um, chapter 28 verse 13, it makes a distinction between a diamond and a jasper, that they are two different things. But it's crystal clear, glistening, dazzling, stunning. Have you ever, anybody get to see any good Christmas lights this year? I like watching Christmas. Don't you like to see that? Like, whoa, wow. Wait, do you have to turn on a radio station? You know, you go to the one, turn on the radio station. Ah, turn it off. That's dumb, you know. But you just like seeing the, the, the glistening, beautiful lights. Uh, what was good this year was uh, Agrotopia had a good couple good streets, three or four good streets. Most of their neighborhood had it, but there was three or four good streets that were really, ni streets that were really nice. So here's the Lord. He's, John says, it's like the one that sat there is, is like Jasper, crystal clear type. It's, uh, by the way, the Jasper was the first stone um, mentioned in the foundations of the New Jerusalem. It's the last stone set in the plate of the high priest's breastplate. He had 12 stones, uh, the Jewish high priest. The sardine stone. What else does he say? He that was to look upon was like a jasper and a sardine stone. That would be a... That, but, well, before I tell you that, that was the first stone mentioned for the high priest. So you have two different stones that were seen on a high priest's breastplate. And this one, sardine stone, was fiery, deep red. I don't know if that's all caught there. There's a little bit of that there. Fiery, deep red. I was in Miss Bethany. Bethany's my sister-in-law, Miss Bethany, and most of you know. And um, just went by her jewelry store. Over, She's over at uh, Alma School in Ocotillo, I think it is. And... Um, helping to run a jewelry store there, beautiful jewelry there. Um, wow, and I'm just, you know, staring at it, just, just glistening, beautiful jewelry, all kinds of different gems. And it's like the Lord is just, John's thinking of the most valuable, beautiful thing he's ever seen on earth, and he's saying that's what it was like to see him. The one sitting on the throne wasn't like some guy sitting there just old in a beard, looks like he ha has to take blood pressure medicine and some arthritis treatment. No, not some cheery old uh, Santa Claus, ho, 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 you know, not that. He's like, this is who it is. It's different. It's unlike anything else. I can just maybe like the, the, these, um, these, these jewels I've seen. That's what he says. He's, and then he says it's, there's a rainbow about the throne, and the rainbow is kind of mixed with the description of an emerald. Notice what it says there. And, and he says, and, and there was a rainbow, verse 3, 
round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. The best I can discern of that description, he's like, it was like a rainbow around him, and the most dominant part was like an emerald look. Some have said this is symbolic. What do we see of most rainbows we see now is just that half rainbow. God's declaring God's covenant with man, his faithfulness, he's not going to flood the earth again. But when John saw God, he saw a complete rainbow. Some have said, perhaps we'll understand more. Our incomplete knowledge will be complete when we see the Lord, some have said. But here's this appearance of, of the Lord himself. Now, there's more descriptions here about, we see the atmosphere. Appearance in the atmosphere. And we'll work into this. Verses 4 to 11. First, let's notice these elders. So the Bible says in verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Who are these four and twenty elders? Some have said it represents the church. Some have said it represents the church and Israel. That, pardon me, it represents um, Old Testament, let me clarify it, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Well, 24 seems to be the number, seems to be a number in the, in the, you don't see a lot in the Bible, but there's David in the Old Testament uh, when he, in his day, he divided the, the high priest family into 24, or the, the, priest, the priestly tribe into 24, and it into, into 24 different courses that they served. So the priests served in four, 24 different courses. We know that 12, there were 12 tribes of Israel, there were 12 apostles, it seems to represent, this is what I'm leaning toward, and I could be wrong, but it seems to represent all New Testament and Old Testament redeemed saints. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. We'll get to this in one of the Sundays ahead, perhaps next Sunday. They, referring to the, 24, the uh, 4 and 24 elders, chapter 5, verse 9, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. The us is the 24 elders. They're speaking. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. It is certainly at least speaking of Christians who, representing Christians who were saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ from all around the world, every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So here you have these 24 elders, redeemed saints. We represent all redeemed saints, these 24 elders do. And then notice how we see these different lights here. When I say lights, I don't mean it in a real cute way. Notice what it says. Verse 5, they, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is incredible. The lights here are the lightning, peeling thunder, flashes of lightning, rumbling. How many of us, all right, how many of you kids, let's admit it. You a little scared of lightning or th- and thunder? Nah, see, nobody wants to admit it. See, Stefan admitted it. I admit it, too. It's kind of scared. <laughs> like, man, what was that? You know? Or if you see the flash out yonder, you're like, get ready. You're going to hear the rumble. Boom. You know? You get a little afraid of lightning sometimes, huh? And the thunderings and the rumblings. It's like, why are the clouds growling at me? You know? What did I do? You know? That's part of the natural processes that God put into our, you know, our uh, whatever it's called, all it's something ology, <laughs> uh, you know, 
of the clouds and the, and the earth, and there's a dynamic of the electricity and all kinds of... It's God made that, but I don't think He made it to give us a sample of His power of Himself. And the sense of being at his, own, at his very throne, because John says, I, I saw these 24 elders, and I saw thunders and lightning, and, and, and I heard voices, he said. At Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, at Mount, Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to, give the, to get the Ten Commandments of God, it was a fearful sight. The, 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 the mountain did smoke, and there was lightning and, and, and voices and thunderings, and the people are like, whoa, we're getting back. God's going to kill us. And Moses went up there and met with God, received the Ten Commandments. His throne is preparing for war. Now, we, now let's, just, let's just remind ourselves of this. Hebrews says that we as Christians, we get to go to this as a throne of grace. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find grace and mercy to help in a time of need, Hebrews 4 says. But now God is uh, fixing to do something different. It's becoming a throne. It's going to be a throne that's going to execute judgment and war on this earth. That's just a matter of fact. That is what's happening. Hebrew, let me read a couple Hebrew passages in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, um, 29. Hebrews 12, 29, it says... <clears throat> For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. There's a scripture that says our, our, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I read this quote and it surprised me. Winston Churchill said this. Somebody asked him, uh, Mr. Churchill, again, he was, a, he was a commendable prime minister of Great Britain during World War II. He was a wonderful ally of the United States, of our, of our president, perhaps two presidents that, that dealt with him. But he, I was surprised that he said this. Somebody said, are you ready to meet your maker? He says, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. That's, that makes me fear for him. I, I, <clears throat> that's quite underestimating his maker. John sees this. Okay, there's these lights, thunders, light. And then the, the lamps, there's seven lamps. And he says, these are the seven spirits of God. I think they're symbolic of the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it speaks of those lamps again. It says that, um, says that they, I beheld low in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Somehow, in the book of Revelation, the spirits of God, the lamps, they're pictured as the fact that God's spirit goes and searches everything and everybody, sees everything. <coughs> the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And then we see the beasts here. Now, this is something like, like I cannot relate with this. I mean, I can relate a little bit. He's naming some animals I've seen before. But John says, I saw these four beasts. Now, beasts here doesn't mean like, the bad beasts that we're going to look at later on. It's a creature. And according to Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10, Ezekiel saw something almost identical, and he called them cherubims. Cherubims are a high-ranking angel. Satan was a cherub. Cherub is singular. I don't mean cherub like the fat little naked babies that fly around shooting you with arrows, making you in love with somebody. I don't know where that came from. Far from it. These are called cherubims, according to Ezekiel, and they are like guardians about God's throne and attendants to God's throne. And the ones that Ezekiel had had four faces. We see four different faces. Perhaps they can change form. I don't know. Ezekiel saw one with four different faces. 
on each one, four, four cherubims, four different faces on each, eyes all around, within, everywhere. And you know what? They never had to go like this. When they went forward, they went forward. If they went backward, they went backward. They went sideways, they went sideways. They never had to go, okay, guys, let's go this way. They didn't have to. They already got eyes back there in a face. These are a little different. They probably could do the same thing. It said they had eyes all over the place, but they had at least one particular face each. John says here that, I see these four um, beasts. In verse 6, let's preface it here. Verse 6, preface it for us. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. A sea of glass like unto crystal. Here are these beasts. They're on heaven's stunningly clean floor. Just a really clean floor. Some of you kids, your mom cleans the kitchen floor, one of the floors. I'm like, don't walk on my floor. Right? Okay, maybe she says, sweetheart, don't walk on my floor. I don't know. You get a really clean, imagine one that's just like glass. The floor of heaven, like glass, and they're standing on. Now, imagine that. Everything's already bright and stunning and glistening, and then you have a glass floor. It's just, wow, even more. And you have these angelic beasts standing there. And John says, I saw them stand on this sea of glass all about the throne. And they're standing there and they, and they have these eyes and, about them and behind them. They're the same thing. They, couldn't turn, they didn't have to turn around and say, hey, what's that? They already know. They see everything. These beasts do. And they're a special type of angel, as I mentioned. And John says, what else does he say about them? One was like, a, verse, verse uh, 7, a lion. Yeah, the second like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. He's saying they're like, they're like, they're like. So that's what it looked like. They had wings. What else? Yeah, it says they had... um, Verse 8, the four beasts had each of them six wings about them. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Amazing. Amazing. They are attendants to God's throne. You ever see it? You ever go to the zoo? How many of you kids do you like going to the zoo? Anybody? What do you like to see at the zoo? Raise your hand if you want. anybody want to tell me. A lion, you like to see a lion? Okay. Olivia? Tiger. All right, that'd be cool. Yes, Addison? Um, giraffe. giraffe, yeah. Yeah, Noah? Um, gators. gators, all right, yeah. Yes. Coyotes. Coyotes? How'd you like to go to this zoo? I mean, that's almost irreverent to say that, isn't it? I mean, this, these animals, in fact, maybe... God made an eagle to look like because he had already made this. And like, Let me give a little sample here, down here on earth. Or the, 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 the calf or the, the lion. Wow. And, and they're, they're glorious and they're, they're um, always aware. John, pardon me, Isaiah saw something similar, but he called them seraphim. Probably a lower, a little lower ranking angel. By the way, there are ranks of angels, the good ones and the evil ones. There are ranks among the angels. But here's what we see in this atmosphere, last of all, is this worship. So notice what happens here. Verse 8, the end of verse 8, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts, who said that, when they give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him. Now, what we're going to see in the book of Revelation, this is just, he's, John's saying, this is what happens, and, and it does happen. As John's recording things in the book of Revelation, he, he says, hey, and they, they had these vials, and that poured out, and this happened. And all of a sudden, the four and twenty elders fell down to worship, and they sung a song, and, 
And it's like there's these moments of pause and worship in the book of Revelation. It's amazing. By the way, I didn't I failed to mention those beasts are instrumental in initiating these next few judgments. But here you have worship. I'm going to give some, I don't have it on the notes here, but what kind of worship is going on? This is worship that's provoked by recognition of God's holiness. It's provoked by a recognition of God's holiness. So these beasts say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when they do that and they give glory and thanks, the elders respond to that and throw their crowns down at His feet. They say, holy, 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 and worship happens. They see God as holy. Holy means unlike anything, unlike anything else. It's out of the profane, out of the normal, just unique and clean and pure and without sin, unlike anything. That's what holy means. I want to worship a God who's holy. I, everything around me, I want to have something that's just like me. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ came down as the Holy Son of God took upon Him sinless flesh and, and mingled among us without sin, and He yet is still holy. But God is above. God is beyond. God is um, not like sinful man, but it's provoked by holy. You know, it's amazing they don't say, Love, love, love. Is God love? Yes. When they look at God, they don't say mercy, mercy, mercy. Does God have mercy? Yes. They don't say grace, grace, grace when they look at God. They say holy, holy, holy. I just, it's just astounding. Wow. So they're provoked by a view of God's holiness. They're, they're prostrating themselves. That means bowing down. Notice what it says. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship Him that liveth forever and ever. So they, they fall down, and they just, they just show as much homage as possible, prostrating themselves. And then they pour out their best. What do they have in heaven? They have a bank account and stuff like that? I don't think so. They got a crown, though. By the way, that's another indication that these were Christians because the Bible speaks about us getting crowns for certain things that we do for the Lord and and sitting on thrones. And so they, when they worship the Lord, they throw down their crown, a golden crown to Him. The Bible says in verse 4 that their heads were, had crowns of gold. Now, I mean, if you had a little, I had one-tenth little thing, of tenth of an ounce of gold one time. It was like a Canadian leaf thing. And my wife and I, we needed the cash a few years ago, and I turned it in. One-tenth, I mean, how much did these weigh? I know you can make a lot out of it. It's very malleable. I know you can understand that with gold, but this is valuable. They just throw it at God. You can have this. We'll give this to you. We'll, we'll, we'll cast it at your feet. Do we cast anything at the Lord's feet, so to speak? Like, Lord, this is what I got in my best effort, my best thought. Remember that song, Thou my best thought by day and by night, be thou my vision? My best... Uh, my best uh, part of my day, cast it at his feet. He's worthy of it. So they're, bow, they're worshiping, they're pouring out their best, these crowns, and they're proclaiming his worthiness. Notice it says, they cast their crowns before his feet, and they verse, this is so much, it's, it could be said just from verse 11, thou art worthy. You are worth this, doing this, O Lord, to receive this glory and honor and power, for thou hast, Why? You're the one in charge of this whole deal. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know that God created all things. It's not like everything showed up of its own accord and said, okay, no, we're here. We're going to run the show. It's like, no, God brought you into this world for his glory, for his pleasure. And if he wants to say, okay, you're done, he can. Wow. We're created for God's glory and pleasure. See, there's this, there's this old Christian catechism. It's good. And it says something to the effect of the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is because we were made for His pleasure. But it seems like men change it and say the chief end of man is for God to glorify Him and, and us to, you know, and, and God to enjoy us forever. 
God, we were, we're here at the pleasure of God, all of creation. The whole deal is that it was made for His glory and His pleasure. Now, they proclaim His worthiness. They proclaim His sovereignty and His authority and His prerogative in doing whatever He wants. Why am I here? Why am I still here on earth? Why is my life still like this? I'm trying to follow God, but I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm here for His pleasure. I've told you before that I, one time I made a remote control car. Now, I, in all honesty, I took a bunch of parts from this one, from that one, and from that one, and from that one, made a few custom things, and I brought them together. had my motor and my servos and my knee and all that, and I made a little remote control car, and I thought I was really cool. Now, again, I already didn't create it out of nothing like God, but I made something, and I made it because, you know what, I just like to do it. I like that. And I even had another one I painted, I painted it, and I painted it uh, blue and orange. And it had a truck, plastic truck body. This is like when I was in seventh or eighth grade. And some people didn't like the blue and orange. Well, I didn't care. I made it for my pleasure. It's my pleasure to have blue and orange together on a Chevy pickup truck, plastic body over a, a remote control car of mine. That's from, I liked it that way. And when I didn't like it anymore, I said, or I continue to like it, but when I was done with it, I took it apart and did something else with it. You know, used the parts for something else. I'm sorry, but we're, God says he's made all things. He's made me for his pleasure. We are and we're created. The blessed part is, is that since we believed on Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know his story, we're, our story's not done. I have not seen, ear hath not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. For us Christians, he's got more for us. So in a sense, when he's done with us, he's not done with us. It's just we're going through a threshold to the next life, to his next plan. I just want to conclude on a few thoughts. I don't have them on these notes here. but um, So they are throwing crowns down. And they're saying, thou art worthy. It's worth it. God is no less worthy today of such an act. What do we throw at? What is God worthy of in your life? Is he, is he, is he worthy of tonight? He, you're showing us he's worthy of coming to attend a church, Sunday night service. Is he worthy of, of, um, is he worthy of a of, of, of prayer time? Is he worthy of worship first thing? Is he worthy of obeying even when it's hard? Is he worthy of a song? Is he worthy of singing out to with all your heart, even maybe when people in church aren't doing the same as you? Is he, is he worthy? Yes, he's no less worthy now than he will see that he is then. Is he worthy of um, listening to? Is he worthy of serving for a lifetime? Yes, he's worthy of it. See, some of us, we, we spend time with somebody. Maybe you get a business partner. I knew a guy, a Christian man, he got a business partner. He started a business and it just did not go well. And part of it was because he had an unsaved business partner. I think that was part of it. And his business didn't go well. And his mentality was, man, that was not worth, that guy was not worthy of my partnering with him. But God is worthy. Some people aren't worthy of our time, worthy of our effort, worthy of our uh, uh, counsel or whatever. But God is worthy of all of our efforts. He's worthy of a lifetime of even obscure service. He is worthy. That's a, the, the thought that I want to conclude on tonight of the one of two thoughts, that he's worthy of all of our best. And the second thing is, is that I think what is happening here, now think, watch this, in chapter 4 and 5, something's happening here. Because after chapter 4, you're going to see these judgments of these horsemen on the earth and the sky go black and the moon turn to blood and part of the, part of the waters of the ocean um, turn bitter and a, a meteor, some kind of thing, fall from heaven and, and kill some of the, the vegetation. And then it doesn't all happen at once. It's kind of paced out throughout the book. And then, and then you see this Antichrist who thinks he's running the show and you see Satan animate him and and you see, you see um, 
Uh, God preached the gospel through an angel and through some of the 144,000 witnesses. The gospel does get preached in the seven years of the tribulation, and people hear it, and they still blaspheme God. And then he sends an earthquake, and he preaches the gospel. And you see all these things, and, and these severe judgments go mingled with gospel message, mingled with God stretching out His hand, saying, please repent. And, and you see God's judgments going, going, going. And then you even see at one point all the natural water is gone and it's turned to blood. And you see all these things happening and you see some men just blaspheme back to God. But what we see here is first before we get a vision of all these judgments that happen, we get a vision of the God from whom they're coming from. And that God has every right to do it. Why? He created all things. And for His pleasure, they are and were created. And if He wants to go in and say, hey, you're not doing the right thing, okay. It's for His pleasure. In the next, and in the next chapter, you see the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Redeemer of men, who's, <coughs> who's offered Himself as a sacrificial lamb to the earth, to, all of, to, to mankind, and, and you see Him having a part in taking the book and opening up this book that starts declaring some of these judgments. God is worthy. He has every right to do what He's doing. And we see an image, we see a vision of Him, and we see how righteous He is, how holy He is, how powerful He is. But I'm so glad for us that we get to, that we get to rest in the thought that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with this God. Therefore, being justified by His blood, we have not a war here. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's not at war with you or I. He finished that war on the cross for us when He died for our sins. And we're on His side. We're with those elders. We're represented by those elders worshiping Him and uh, reigning with Him and eventually coming back with Him. Well, our job is to try to get people on that side. Let's thank the Lord for our time tonight.